16 pounds of grain that has no saturated fat, no cholesterol, high in protein, fiber, um, you know, essential nutrients. You can then run that through this yeah, machine called a cow and fill the fullest cholesterol, saturated fat, and you only get one pound out of it. That's Keegan Kuhn, who joins me today along with Kip Anderson to talk about their new documentary, Cowspiracy, this week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's going on? What's happening? What's the news? I am Rich Roll. I am your host. This is my podcast. What do we do here? Each week, I sit down with the outliers, the big forward thinkers across all categories of positive, paradigm-breaking culture change. And the goal is simple. The goal is just to help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. So thank you so much for tuning in today, for subscribing to the show on iTunes, for giving us a review on iTunes, and for always making sure to use the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com for all your Amazon purchases. The banner is right there on the podcast page. Doesn't cost you a cent extra on any of your purchases. Just a really great, simple, free way to support the mission. It really does put some nice wind in our sails. So thank you so much to everybody who has made a habit or a practice out of doing that. We love you. We appreciate you. Do I sound like I'm out of breath? Like I'm winded? I feel like I am. Well, it might be because I'm coming at you uh, from Telluride. I'm here to do a speaking gig, and uh, they tell me I'm at 9,000 feet. I can definitely feel it. I definitely felt it on this morning's run. This altitude is no joke. So if I'm panting or breathing a little bit hard, my apologies ahead of time. I'll try to avoid it. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And 
With that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Got Kip Anderson and Keegan Kuhn on the show today. Really excited about this. Uh, these guys were on the show about 15 months ago, episode 91. Please check that out if you haven't already. For those of you that are new to the podcast, Kip and Keegan are the guys behind this incredible documentary called Cowspiracy, The Sustainability Secret. And it's sort of an inconvenient truth meets blackfish. Uh, it's basically an incredibly sobering and powerful and also funny. It's a very entertaining documentary that takes a hard, unflinching look at the incredibly negative impact of animal agriculture on planetary ecology. And it's something that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in, you're probably concerned about it. So whether we're talking about carbon emissions, climate change, the blindingly rapid destruction of our rainforests, overconsumption of water, species extinction, the depletion and destruction of our soil, the pollution of our rivers, lakes, oceans, the obliteration of natural wildlife habits, habitats, not habits, habitats. Uh, you might be surprised to discover, uh, and this is what the movie explores, is that the very inconvenient and uncomfortable truth is that there is one industry that is single-handedly responsible for destroying and undermining the health and sustainability of our planet far more than any other, and that is animal agriculture. And the interesting thing, the amazing thing, the surprising thing and what the movie really kind of delves into is just why we're not really talking about this very much. Like, this is news to a lot of people, right? It deserves its uh, place in the global environmentalism conversation. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Kip and Keegan back on the show. Um, there's been a lot of developments since we first spoke about 15 months ago. And at that time, 
This film uh, was about as grassroots as it gets. It was an Indiegogo-funded film, uh, rejected from the festival circuit. They had zero distribution for it. Nobody had really seen it yet, and uh, they've been kind of going around the country in a van showing up at privately organized homespun screenings. Well, all of that's about to change because a couple really amazing things have happened over the last year, not the least of which is uh, a while back, uh, a guy you might have heard of called Leonardo DiCaprio saw the movie. He was impressed by the movie. He was so impressed by the movie that he wanted to get involved, and he came on board the film as an executive producer. And now, Cowspiracy is on the precipice of premiering on Netflix. It's going to be premiering this week, uh, September 15th, in all English-speaking territories worldwide. And it's a new cut of the film. It's a better, tighter cut with some updated facts, all extremely extremely exciting. Uh, I got a few more things to say about all this in a minute, but first, let's take care of a little business. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Look, building a website can be tough. I know, I've been there. I spent years, maybe even like decades, working on websites. Look, I don't know anything about how to build a website, so I have to find these guys that do. The guys that are good are super expensive. They're in demand, so you can't really get their attention. Even when you get something built and you want a simple change made, it takes weeks to implement. It's all like just a giant broken system that needs to be repaired, right? And that's where Squarespace comes in. Because building a website is tough no matter who you are. And even if you do know your way around coding, creating something that looks good and works well is just ridiculously time-consuming. Whether it's for a business site, a portfolio, a restaurant, whatever your occupation is or your passion. In this day and age, you probably need a website. Well, lucky for us, Squarespace makes it super easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful websites that look professionally designed, irrespective of skill level. You don't need to know how to code. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools to create your website with... Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust in Squarespace for your website needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world trust in them too. Seriously, look, you guys, you can't beat this offer, right? You can't beat the ease and the simplicity of Squarespace. They just take all the guessing out of the whole thing. Plus, they give you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website for only 8 bucks. A month. You can even get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So what are you waiting for? Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code ROLL, R-O-L-L, to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Rich Roll Podcast. We thank Squarespace for their support of the Rich Roll Podcast. Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right, Kip and Keegan. So I'm super proud to have gotten involved with this movie very early on. I'm really proud to have been able to give Kip and Keegan a microphone uh, in the very early stages of rolling this movie out. I'm incredibly grateful to be an associate producer on this film and have my name associated with it. I'm more excited and proud for Kip and Keegan to finally be in this place where all their hard work and their passion and their incredible advocacy is now going to be recognized and enjoyed on such a mass level. Because with Leonardo DiCaprio's name and credibility attached to the film, suddenly the reach of the movie is astronomical. And the impact of this, just it just can't be overstated. But mostly, I'm excited for the impact that this will undoubtedly have on the environmental conversation to follow. 
So you guys ready to hear more about all this? Let's talk to Kip and Keegan. Yeah, it's super awesome. It's such an exciting week. Uh, I'm so glad that we could like make the time. Your guys' lives must be insane right now, getting ready for the impending big release on Netflix. But uh, super glad to uh, reconvene after our first podcast and sit down. And I'm hoping that you guys can uh, kind of catch me up to speed and let me know how this uh, amazing journey has been. It's been awesome. It's just been incredible. Um, you know, since Cowspiracy came out, and then for anyone who hasn't seen Cowspiracy, Cowspiracy follows my co-director Kip Anderson on this journey of finding out about the most destructive industry facing the planet, which is animal agriculture, and leading cause of rainforest destruction, species extinction, topsoil erosion, um, ocean dead zones, leading cause of anthropogenic greenhouse gases. I mean, it just literally goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, since that film came out, people have just been around the world embracing it and just waking up to this information and this message which has been amazing um and it has just gone farther and wider than i think either of us could have ever imagined and what's so what's so great is that it has just begun you know it's a lot usually documentaries don't really hit its stride till you hit netflix or something like that and so we've got a good push before the big release yeah it really has just begun i mean it must feel like to you guys that it's been going on for a long time (laughs) but it feels like a lot for most people you know they haven't seen it yet you know a lot of people haven't even heard about it and that's kind of the journey i want to get into a little bit and of course i want to hear a little bit more about the movie um you know you guys came on the podcast before and we talked all about the movie but that was quite a long time ago you know the audience there is grown and i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have not yet um, listen to that episode. Uh, so, um, before we get into kind of the journey, let's get a little bit more like granular and specific about the film itself. If you can speak to that. It follows essentially my journey, which is, uh, a fun way to look at it of finding all this information as someone that you can relate to. Cause it's basically me a few years ago of seeing what I can do to live environmentally and ethically, uh, sound on the, on this planet. And so I thought I was doing everything I could to, to make a difference in, the, in this life, you know, riding my bike, doing all the environmental things, taking short showers, doing this and that. And then I found being out a good environmentalist, being a good environmentalist. Yes. Yeah. I think half of it was just saying that I'm a, I'm an environmentalist. Uh-huh. That was half of it. You have the bumper stickers and showing up to a Greenpeace event or uh-huh. yeah. I actually, my big thing is my big thing I was proud of is I think I gave $20 or $40 a year to save the wolves from Sierra club without uh-huh. having no idea where the wolves are going. Uh-huh. Um, and then finding out this information and that's the fun journey of finding one thing out after another. And the first big one was that the human caused greenhouse gases is caused more or as much by raising animal agriculture for food than, than all the transportation cars, trucks, boats planes all combined and that's where it just from there it right i mean it it, it's kind of a mind-blowing thing right so we all kind of operate on this premise that the biggest contributor to kind of greenhouse gas emissions and carbon emissions and all and the like is is basically our use of fossil fuels right like if we can solve the transportation problem then maybe we can do something good for the planet but this UN report that you come across that was published in 2008, I think the first one sort of speaks differently, right? It, it, it it paints a very different picture of what's actually going on. 
Yeah. I mean, the, again, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, animal agriculture, raising animals and their feed crops for food is a larger contributor to greenhouse gases than the entire transportation sector, which is huge. Um, but there's actually been more research and, and other analysis on greenhouse gases that actually put the figure much higher, that actually you know, 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions could potentially be coming from animal agriculture. 51%. And what it, where is transportation on that? Uh, about 13%. Yeah, 51% to 13 Yeah, so it's huge. And, and, that, and how much of that is, because when you're talking about carbon emissions, there's all different kinds, right? Like animal agriculture, there's methane, and then there's the sort of carbon emissions that come with the transportation and the manufacturing aspect of it. So when you're saying 51%, that's that I assume that's like an all encompassing number that takes into account the whole kind of like, um, you know, chain of production. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's the life cycle analysis. So you're looking at every aspect of animal agriculture from, you know, great, raising the grains, uh, the CO2 emissions that come from tilling soil, the methane emissions that come from the animal's waste, uh, even respiration, um, the emissions that come from transportation, refrigeration, I mean, the whole life cycle of that product to get to your plate. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, carbon dioxide is the big focus. That's what everyone looks at when they're talking about greenhouse gases and global warming. But we have to look at all the other gases like methane, which has a global warming potential 86 times greater than CO2 on a 20-year time frame. Mm-hmm. And we uh, make fun of that because basically it's cow farts, right? But that it's a burps. real problem, yeah, right? Yeah. Bur- oh, burps too. Yeah, how actually, much is, it is, is farting and how much of it is burping? It's, you know it's, it's, I think it's like <laughs> 80 or 90% burping. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the wow, farting just gets more attention because it's funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, That's you know, big amazing. thing too, it's their waste. You know, they're their waste is full of nitrous, produces nitrous oxide, which is 296 times more destructive than CO2. Um, and then, you know, there's sulfuric oxide, there's these ammonias that come out of it. I mean, there's just so many damaging gases that come out of animal agriculture. But the, one of the biggest things is the fact that these animals need so much land either to graze on or to have their feed crops grown on. And so they have to clear forests and forests are these natural carbon sequestering, you know, parts of our ecosystem um, and so they clear the forest to grow grains and so now you've lost the ability to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and that's the that's a huge huge part of the problem right i mean right now it seems like it's quite popular uh you know this idea of of eating grass-fed beef right like oh it's just, like i have friends that will say you know I understand where you're coming from, but I make sure that the the meat that I eat is sustainably raised and it's ethically raised and it's all grass fed. And with that comes this idea that um, that's less deleterious to the environment. And in fact, maybe even further than that, that they're actually doing some kind of good. Right. So can we talk. Can we, I, I want to talk more about the, you know, the, the movie and all of that. But I would like to like plant a flag on this issue for a moment. Yeah, but, definitely. Well, so that that's the ironic thing, you know. I eat grass-fed beef, and and ironically, it's it's actually worse in a lot of ways. And it's not just uh, with the greenhouse gases. A big, huge one that really affects me, as far as personally, is I really care about the wildlife. It takes, on average, for factory farms, only around, I th- believe, what, two two acres per cow because it's just mm-hmm. so efficient. You can grow huge. Uh, right. There's one thing that factory farming does really, really well is create economies of scale. Right? They're going to use the least amount of resources, the least amount of land, water, f- food, everything like that to blow up an animal big enough to eat. Exactly. And that's what people don't realize. It's so efficient. And that's what it, it's efficient with all the natural resources. It's terrible for the cows and terrible for the animals. But for the rest of the, rest of the wildlife, right? 
rather than two acres per cow. Now you're talking grass fed. You're talking anywhere between 10 acres to 50 acres. Which or the, even higher. Which the farmer said on our film, 50 acres in Wyoming or Montana. And that's 50 acres for one single cow. Mm -hmm. Imagine going on 50 acres and the entire, the only wildlife on there is uh, one cow. You have no other wild horses, no other bears, no other wolves. And this is why all the uh, wildlife is being depleted through these pasture Right, because you can't, you got to get rid of all that other wildlife in order for the cattle to safely graze and not be sort of preyed upon. And it's not only uh, predators, but it's to compete with the resources of which few we have left for the grass and now the water. Uh But there's much, you just can't have wild horses right now. There's more wild horses in captivity. Uh, that gets rounded up, then there are free, free roaming. Right. To remove them. So the cattle can graze. Right. right. So, so my, my understanding is that there's all this sort of state or federal controlled land that gets leased to, uh, cattle farmers so that they can, you know, sort of graze their cattle on these grasslands, even though they don't own it, you know, they, they, they lease it from the federal government. It's subsidized. So they get a great rate on it. And the federal government or the state comes in and kind of clears the land. Or if there's a problem with wild horses or other predators, they can have them come in and have them removed. Is that that's a fair that, yeah, characterization? That's exactly what's happening. Um, I mean, the, the USDA has actually, um, I forget what they call it now. I think it's called the wild animal services. And they will, if a rancher has a problem with, a, you know, their cows being attacked by mountain lions or bears or coyotes, they can call up the USDA and say, Hey, I'm having a problem. And the USDA will come out and exterminate those animals. And they mm-hmm. do it. I mean, they've, they've done it in Washington. They, you know, cows were attacked on public lands and the USDA in Washington had completely eliminate, eliminated an entire pack of wolves because, mm-hmm. you know, one cow was attacked. So, I mean, this is the, one of the leading causes of species extinction and eradication in the American West is from cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, the, the ranchers see them as perceived threats, and then yeah, but the you know goes all the way down to you know ravens and you know ground squirrels and you know prairie dogs. I mean, just animals who you would never see as a threat to this industry. Well, the industry sees it as a threat, and so you know they can't coexist. They've got to be eliminated, and that's grass fed. When people talk about grass fed, it's like, well, you know, the wolves being annihilated. The reason why wolves are you know, allowed to be hunted in Idaho and Wyoming and Montana is because of the cattle industry. It's not because they're, you know, a threat to human beings. There's, there's been no reported attacks of deaths of human beings by wolves in the United States. Mm. So it's like, why are we hunting them? Right, right, right. And, and, and beyond that is the simple obvious fact that, uh, you know, the whole grass fed thing is really kind of, it's not a solution to our problem. I mean, we just don't, there's, I mean, 50, what did you say? 50 acres per 10 to per, 50 or even per, more. Per, yeah. I mean, per cow. like we don't have cow. the land to do it. It's just, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. There's no way that we could marshal the resources to make that available for everyone. So it becomes kind of an elitist thing, right? Like, yeah, that's what if I you can afford. We it had, uh, it's not, it's not, sus- if yeah, it's, it, when we, people talk about sustainable, they really should be talking about privilegeable, yeah, privilegeable, mm-hmm. you know, because a, that, they can afford it. B that you have, yeah, some other resources to, to be able to, well, big one is afford it. Yeah. And then, yeah, what you're saying about land use, it's right now about half the United States, lower 48 is used for growing animals whether it's growing their feed crops or their actual grazing. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, factory farming is relatively very efficient compared to, you know, grass fed or open range, uh, grazing. 
So yeah, if we switched over and everybody wanted to do grass-fed, we simply don't have the land for it. Right. Um, and then the other thing too is that most of the United States land is not suited for grazing livestock. You know, there's there's sections in the Midwest that are you know native prairies that could potentially sustain what they did historically sustain large herds of herbivores, um, but those soils have been degraded and they're you know now all grown with corn and soybeans that are fed to livestock. So it's mm-hmm. like we don't really even have that. The American West really isn't designed for having livestock. Um, didn't support large herds in the past. So we just we don't live in the ecosystem, and so what they end up doing, yeah, is they clear forest on the east coast, and they you know run animals on degraded land in the west that were never designed to have wild animals or to have large herds. Um, and so yeah, it just continues this degradation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not only that, I mean in the in the in the Midwest or sort of the breadbasket of America, you go, oh, this is well how we're feeding everybody, but I, I don't know what percentage of those crops. I know it's very high. Is not going to humans at all, right? It's going to feed livestock, and some of that is getting exported overseas, right, to feed livestock in foreign countries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's about ninety percent of the U.S.'s soy is fed to livestock. Um, Things about sixty or seventy percent of the corn is fed to livestock. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, the alfalfa in California, where all the water's going, uh, percentage of that being being exported to what, what was that? So, yeah, so about it's. Uh, so you see, Keegan's the ridiculous numbers guy. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> now you're putting on a spot. I think it's, it's a hundred billion gallons of water is exported out of California every year in the form of alfalfa to go to China. Right. China, to Korea, feed, and, to feed livestock in China. It. Humans don't eat alfalfa, not not in large scales, at least. So yeah, I mean, we're exporting resources. Um, we're also exporting animals too, you know, mm-hmm. to other countries. So it's all the resources that went into you know raising that animals are then being exported. So yeah, I mean, it's just a huge, huge issue. On the grass fed thing, though, people will say, oh well, there's better ways of running grass fed animals. Um, you know, Alan Savory, he's kind of the the savior in the you know grass fed movement. And Alan Savory is a, uh, I want to call him a scientist, but what he does isn't science. He was a, basically a game warden in Zimbabwe. Um, and so he was charged with, you know, having wild animals for people to come and hunt. Um, saw that the land was being degraded there and came up with this crazy idea that it was the elephants that were causing the degradation of land and mm-hmm. so convinced the government to slaughter 40,000 elephants. Mm-hmm. I think somewhere like 10,000 hippos as well. What year? When was that happening? That was in the 60s. 50s. So it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, it, took, yeah. it was over 14 years. Yeah. But just think of that. 40,000 elephants. Right now, if you hear of... And it didn't solve the problem. That's no, the, it, it actually made it worse. Yeah, it made it worse. So, so Alan Savory has since gone on to you know do a very popular ted talk and he's kind of been championed as as this guy who has uh these novel ideas about how we can solve our you know uh, sort of soil degradation problem and that solution comes in the form of more cattle right yeah. basically like if we increase cattle grazing on grasslands that they through their sort of um you know just by living there and and uh, you know, chewing up the grass and stepping on it and doing what they do, that this will somehow, uh, what's the word, like um, regenerate, regenerate, the regenerate the soil and make it more arable, yeah. right? So, and there's a lot of, he's got a lot of support for this yeah, idea. There are a lot of people that are rallying behind this, and I see this argument all the time on the internet. So what's really going on? Uh, you know, if, if anything that we see 
as a rebuttal to the film or as a solution is Alan Savory. And we have actually Alan Savory in the film, but we yeah, it got yeah. to the you point. You don't spend a lot of time. You kind of refer to him and then you move on. We did. And we had a whole section on him. We went really in deep into research the entire thing, um, the whole intensive holistic grazing. And then the more you look into it, the more logically you look on it, into it, it is so absurdly ridiculous that we said, you know, let's just tell the story of who this guy is. So to realize, you just get caught up down some rabbit hole with it. Uh, it's well, just, it just takes a little bit of while. So right now we're actually working on it. It might only be six minutes, but six minutes in a 90 minute film to focus on something that's so absurd. That was the most mm-hmm. thing. It's like, should we even address this? Cause this guy just did one, one Ted talk, but you know, looking back, maybe we could have done it more, um, addressed it, but we're going to do a follow up 10 minute, uh, to address to to address that in a funny, entertaining way, um, but basically a huge issue of what it comes down to is water. That's a huge thing. Water, and then the other thing is that his his method of intensive grazing is that it's to mimic what it was when the bison roamed and when when wildlife used to roam when the soil was regenerative. And here's the big thing that was left out of that's left out of this theory is that back then it was a complete loop cycle. You had your bears, you had your wolves, you had your predators. They die naturally. You didn't have humans then. So what happened is they would live, they would trample, they would eat all um, you know, the resources and then give it back to the earth through death and through this whole cycle. But once you put humans into the equation, now you're actually, you know, they're essentially these machines sucking up the nutrients, sucking up uh, the nutrients from the soil, sucking up all the water at a ridiculous rate, and then you t- remove it from, from of where it's supposed to be generated. Now you mm-hmm. just sucked out thousands, millions of gallons of water, all the nutrients from the soil, and you're putting on someone's plate in L.A. or, you know, California. Right, so it's no longer a closed loop because you're removing loop. the animal. The animal isn't dying on the land. It's being removed so that... It becomes food. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, like a, a plumbing problem, and all of a sudden you stick a huge hole into it, and then the water just gushes out. And so, and that's the that's the big one. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's essentially strip mining soil, and it's, it's mm-hmm. like any other form of agriculture. People would say, though, oh well, there's examples where it does work. And it's like, okay, well, where are those places that it works? And say, it'll be probably coastal areas that have a lot of rainfall. So it's like, oh, well, <laughs> coastal areas that have a lot of rainfall actually will grow forests. And when you want to regenerate an ecosystem, allow the native forest to come back. That's, it sequesters carbon so much better than grasslands. doesn't produce methane in, you know, in the rates that livestock do. But as Skip said, it really just comes down to the resources. I mean, there's this whole regenerative movement. And um, they say, oh, well, we can regenerate you know, lands that have been degraded using this method. But again, they have to look at what resources they're bringing into the equation. They're bringing in millions of gallons of water, whether they're mm-hmm. pumping it out of the, the ground or they're trucking it in. And they're also bringing in feed. Well, my background's in organic agriculture. I spent close to 10 years developing organic farms. And so most of the time when you start a farm, you're importing in truckloads full of nutrients, whether it's in the form of animal manures or if you're going veganic, you know, uh, vegetable compost like alfalfa meal or soybean meal or kelp meal. But you're importing mm-hmm. resources from somewhere else where they really should belong. Mm-hmm. So with this holistic management grazing, 
they're bringing in water. So it's a cow's drinking 30 to 40 gallons a day, and you've got 400 cows on there. I mean, so you're dealing with, you know, thousands of yeah, gallons of water. of water. And so you want to regenerate an area? Take all that water. Instead of running cattle, just irrigate the land. Watch how amazing it regenerates. Oh, well, look at that. You brought in water. Right, so, right, right. so this whole idea that, oh, the cows are bringing in some magical aspect of this. No, you're you're running you're actually wasting water you're running it through the cows and then the cows are urinating and so there's now the land is being irrigated and now it's getting fertilizer it's like take all those resources that in because every time you run nutrients through uh an animal or a plant it lose about 25 percent mm-hmm. so you're losing 25 to 50 percent of all the nutrients that you just brought into this system by running through an animal just put it on the land or even better just leave the land alone and there's been you know dozens and dozens of actual scientific research where they've taken an acre or five acres or 50 acres or 500 acres of degraded land, fenced it off, removed all the cattle, and it bounces back. The Mm. biodiversity goes up, the wildlife comes back. I mean, it's just incredible, just on even just one acre. And you have the surrounding area, you know, that's grazed by livestock, it's totally degraded. So that's like a whole other movie you could do. Oh, it yeah. is. I mean, literally. <laughs> so, uh, so has, so, uh, has Alan Savory seen the movie? Has he, yeah. re- has he reacted to it or well, responded? I to was you just going to say, I think, uh, the funny, one of the funnest parts of the whole film tour, we did a film tour what, over last a year summer. ago. Yeah. Last summer. And we went to new Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we always do Q and A's after. And this really old guy stood up and we're like, oh, wow, you know, that's so, you know, I mean, really old guy. Like, and normally our crowds are pretty young. We're like, oh, that's so great. He comes up. All of a sudden, comes out of the mouth this English accent and did Rhodesian like trip, accent. Yeah, Rhodesian, technically. Mm-hmm. Did a triple take. It's Alan Savory. And only, and there's only wow. 70 people, is the smallest ones that we had uh, screening. Alan Savory. And he sta- st- stands up stoically, faces the audience. He says, I am Alan Savory. I'm the one who they just kicked under the bus or something like that. Um, and then he went on to say, I would like everyone to invite everyone over to my place tomorrow. Turns out he lives in Albuquerque. Mm. Um, and we will do another interview because these people did not want to interview us. And we tried so hard to interview him. So next thing you know, well, he, just did, he didn't respond or what did he decline? Yeah, to be his, interviewed? his institute, cause he has the Alan Savory Institute. They never got back to us and sent me probably 10 emails. So we show up, we do it, we go, we say, awesome. And he thought we'd say no. We said, absolutely, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll come over tomorrow. Sure enough, tomorrow morning, invited the entire theater. Only two other people showed up. Um, and we went to his house, and we did an interview, and it was the most Twilight Zone interview we've, we've ever done. And that's saying something, because we've had some, if you watch the movie, we had some bizarre interviews. And the whole question was was how exactly does this work where I'd ask some specific logical questions for two hours could basically ask one question, Just, where do you get the water? Hmm. And he would literally for two hours would not answer the question. Where do you get the water? Cause you know, here he is in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think Albuquerque has perfect place has about eight inches or, or even less of rain per year. Um, perfect place for his method. And he, <laughs> so can you take us to, you know, you live here. Can you take us to one of your farms? I mean, this is your backyard. You should just have them all over New Mexico. It should just be flourishing. Could not take us to one. And then the one example that he showed and he was so excited to show it said once again, well, where do you get the water and feed? Oh, that gets what is it? They, they gets, brought it in. It, well, then there you go. Then <laughs> we, it's not we talked to one of his, one of the people who they said, oh, look, you know, they have this, uh, this, uh, you know, the old, uh, airstrip in Albuquerque and they're, you know, it's just degraded land. It's just terrible. And we've got livestock out there and it's just coming back. It's amazing. You should see it. And I, and he said, yeah, you know, when I was out there last time feeding the cows, I said, whoa, 
what you were feeding the cows and the land's coming back. Imagine that you had to bring in food. And so which means it's right, f- which is counter to the whole principle <laughs> of the whole thing, yeah, which is it. to leave it be. Right. It was funny is even if he didn't, the pictures he showed was, you know, maybe three inches of grass along a, a, an old strip way of, of asphalt. Like, wow, that's impressive. You know, yeah. thinking that it's, yeah. So what did you guys do with this interview? We no, haven't yeah. done anything with it because what's the plan? It was, I don't know. I mean, it was so bizarre that, and he just tells these stories of Zimbabwe. He would always go back to Zimbabwe. I'd tell him one thing. Next thing you know, he's such a great storyteller. That's why his, and his accent, if he had an accent, if he had just a normal American accent, it would, that, that Ted talk would have Boston never happened. Boston accent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's that accent. I swear in the way he's, he's a magical storyteller and that's how he's gotten people to do what he does. He's an incredible marketer, but it's through his storytelling. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he'd wander you off. Next thing you know, we're in Zimbabwe 50 years ago and he's talking about, um, just old store, random stories. And then I'd, you know, and he would just talk and talk and talk. Finally, if I would have to interrupt him. Can we get back to the solistic grazing? Please say where you get the water and exactly how it works. And, just, and, and it was, the, the interesting thing is, and he said it to us and he said it in a lot of other interviews is that, um, the scientific method can't be used with holistic management grazing because people have tried to replicate his studies and mm-hmm. no one's been able to do it or they, they do it, but they won't be able to get the same results. And, and he always says, Oh, well, you know, the scientific you can't uh, method, control all the variables. Yeah. It's too complex. And, and you know, the scientific method doesn't work for this. And, and he also <laughs> actually said in an interview, the scientific method has never proven anything. This guy's supposed to be a scientist. And mm-hmm. he says the scientific method has never proven anything. What is he, what was the point he was trying to make? It, it's just that, you know, every single situation you have to come at it from a more of a holistic idea and basically that you can't replicate his results. And the reason why you can't replicate his results and people, again, you know, I'm sure some of your listeners will say, well, I know a farm, you know, in Hawaii that does this, or I know a farm in coastal California or, in, you know, um, you know, Virginia or wherever it is that does this and it works. We'll really look at it, see what kind of imports they're bringing in, see mm-hmm. what kind of water resources, see what their soils are really doing, see what their, the carbon sequestering abilities of their soils really are, because that's where I think the big selling point is said, oh, well, we could, you know, reverse climate change with holistic management grazing. We know how we can reverse climate change is to actually allow native forests to come back. That's the best thing we could possibly do. We, we don't have to worry about feeding the world like, you know, oh, this is how we'll feed the world and save the planet. We're growing enough food to feed 10 billion people on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about feeding the world. What we need to do is start to regenerate forests. I mean, there's some preliminary research coming out right now from um, two researchers, one of them from the University of Illinois. And the pre- preliminary research is saying that if we were to take all grasslands that were formerly forests that are now being grazed by cattle and allow take the cattle off and allow those forests to regenerate, that we would be able to more carbon than we've emitted into the atmosphere since the industrial era has started, mm. which is massive. We're not talking about like, you know, get rid of all animal agriculture, just get rid of animals on areas that used to be forested land, mm-hmm. which is, a you know, the leading cause of desertification and, and uh, degradation of land is from deforestation. Mm-hmm. And the leading cause of deforestation is raising cattle. Um, so again, it's like for people who really want to help the planet, we have to stop livestock. That's, mm-hmm. that's the first and foremost. Yeah. And just to kind of, you know, tie a bow on the whole Alan Savory kind of thing. I mean, even even if it did, like, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say, all right, this method has some merit. Let's do it. Uh, Let's play that out to its logical conclusion. Like if we're going to feed the planet or let's just say we're going to feed Americans, 
So let's just open up, you know, all of our land and let cattle graze freely everywhere. Like, first of all, there isn't enough land to create to, to host enough cattle to make that a sustainable or viable solution to feed people. And there would just have to be sort of cows every I mean, it would become like India times a thousand, right, in order for that to be workable. Like, it's just not a solution. Right. And the solution that's so obvious uh, when you watch this film is if we can eradicate or start to limit, you know, cattle production and put a cap on and ultimately work towards, uh, you know, the obsolescence of animal agriculture as our primary way of feeding the planet. This is the most effective and most expeditious way to, uh, you know, uh, implement a curative solution that's that will solve our environmental ills. Absolutely, so people are so people are, have so passionate about monoculture of of you know just certain great like soy and corn when when most of that goes to feeding feeding livestock, but then also a mono, would you call it a mono animal yeah, so uh, habitat? It would mm-hmm. be one cow and is this your ideal of uh, you know the utopia is just a world full of just cows and grass is this really the best we can do and yeah. that's the best case scenario um and and that you know and that doesn't even work that's a funny right 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 and that's the you know, again you know just going towards you know a plant-based you know society is that it has benefits you know on every level it benefits the wildlife it benefits you know water it benefits soil it benefits the you know climate i mean literally everything it has no drawbacks there there are no drawbacks it's the craziest it. thing ever i mean once i kind of you know made the switch and was able to perform better than ever as an athlete and and i you have this kind of dawning realization like we're not obligate omnivores like this is a choice like this is an option i mean we don't have to like once you really free yourself from the stranglehold of this idea that, you know, is embedded into, you know, our minds at a very early age that we must have these products in order to live and be healthy. Once you break free of that and you're like, wait a minute, then you're like, hold on, I can like kill it as an athlete. I can uh, take preventive measures to prevent myself from having all these lifestyle illnesses that are, that's killing everybody. I can actually reverse some of these conditions if I already have them. I can have my skin clear. I can do all these amazing health benefits and it's doing all this amazing stuff for the planet and it's protecting all of these helpless animals that are being led to slaughter. Like every box gets checked, right? And you're like, well, this is the biggest no brainer ever, right? Like why wouldn't I do this? Um, and then I think that's why a lot of, you know, vegans and vegan activists get, get so frustrated because they're like, can't you see what I'm seeing? Right. But it's, it's a hard road for a lot of people to kind of, you know, grapple with that mentally to get to that place. I mean, everybody has to kind of go on their own journey to have that realization, I think. And I think that's what people really like about the film is they follow my journey of, of, of ignorance, really. I, when I went vegan and, you know, through the process, kind of telling the, the, the uh, end of the story of the, the mm-hmm. film, but um, I was so naive, just like you said, that I, I truly because I was vegetarian for a while, but I really did not think you could go without animal products. I would actually, when I went vegetarian, I would eat about two times more eggs and cheese to make up for the meat, you know, mm-hmm. to make up whatever that was. And when it hit me of all these things, that and all the ethical reasons really hit me too. When I watched some of the, a few of these films. I made a, uh, you know, it was pretty instant that I said, I do not, even if I die within a month and I, I was literally, I thought I was that naive to, you're it. willing to sacrifice your health. Yeah. Right? I would rather, I don't want to assuming trail of that blood there would and, be a negative. You know, I felt like Godzilla with a trail of blood and destruction behind me. 
Um, and just even if I die in a month, at least, you know, at least have that that trail be gone for a little bit. Uh-huh. One month, you know, maybe I'll last two. <laughs> and then to find out within one month of clearing, because I ate a lot of cheese, clearing the dairy out was the most amazing thing. I'm chills just like thinking about it now because the, the, how good I felt and I could literally feel the blood running through my veins. I never had the up and ups and downs. And within one month, I felt about 10 years younger and to this day. I mean, it was hands down the best I've ever felt and the best decision ever. Mm-hmm. And to think that I had no idea. So when a lot of people say this, even though they see these ethical and these environmental reasons, but they don't, I understand because you just don't, some, a lot of people just don't realize that it's even that possible. Right. There's this idea. And I think even, you know, in the wake of people seeing conspiracy saying, I'm so moved by these environmental issues, I'm going to take this leap. And, you know, I'm scared because I'm worried I'm going to be sacrificing my health and doing it, you know, but I'm willing to do it anyway, which is almost makes it more courageous. And then, you know, the message that I want everyone to hear is like, you're not taking some crazy risk with your health. You're actually doing something very good for your health, you know, and so. Anyway, uh, so much to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, uh, I want to get back to the movie. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that I think uh, makes it so compelling is because we're having this uh, emotional connection with your journey, Kip, right? Like it's a very kind of, um, you know, firsthand experience in, a, in the vein of, a you know, Morgan Spurlock supersized me where you're like, here's what's going on in my life. Like come on this road with me and let's learn together. And you know, when it opens, you're, you're doing all these environmental things and, you know, being the good quote unquote, like good environmentalist guy, you come across this UN report, which blows your mind because you never knew that animal agriculture was sort of having this kind of impact. And then the, the, the film, you know, the remainder of the film is you kind of visiting these, uh, these charitable organizations, these NGOs that we've entrusted to, uh, you know, sort of protect us and inform us as consumers about what we need to know about what's going on with the environment and sort of petitioning them for answers about why this problem isn't being discussed or, or properly addressed. And so. then, and that was the inspira- inspiration to make the film. Almost more the fact that I learned this information about what this industry is doing to the planet. It's when I, when I saw... I started researching, well, what's Sierra Club doing about this? They must be talking about this. I don't, you know, I don't go on Sierra Club's website. Mm-hmm. You know, I give them donations every now and then. What's Greenpeace doing? How about, you know, I wanted to join a Greenpeace rally about this. I was all excited to join this whole movement. I started going on one after another to realize they're not talking about it. this. And then I went on, you know, Rainforest Action Network and the Amazon, Amazon Watch, 91, up to 91% of the entire Amazon that's destroyed is due to, uh, in some way, others, due to livestock. Right, like one to two acres a second or a minute? So a second. Second. Up to a second. One to, yeah, and that, that fluctuates between second to a minute. But, yeah, think when, when you really just stop and think of that, you know, an acre is around a football field. And every second to every minute, are you kidding me? And then for them to not have this on their website. I mean, if you find it, it would take you uh, 10 minutes to find this on there. And that's when I was just blown away. And, that, and, and in the film, you see that I was shocked, but it was you know, probably times 10 because I just could not believe it. And so I was nonstop, nonstop calling them, emailing yeah, them. Anybody should be up on this and talking about it and informing us and up in arms about it. It would be 
that organization. Right. And I thought there'd be rallies the very next weekend or, you know, things I could do or places I could join and help out. And then to find nothing, say, Hey, I want to do this for you guys. How about I start this? Cause you're not doing it. No reply emails, nothing back. Mm -hmm. And this was in the film. It says months, but it was actually a few years. Mm -hmm. And that's, was the impetus of, okay, something has to be done. And that's where the movie really decided, you know, it took a while to make the film, but how to, this this needs to be told and that's what makes the film actually exciting is when we go visit the these organizations and have these fun interviews with them and that's where the yeah there's some uh there's some <laughs> there's some definitely some like uncomfortable interesting moments in these interviews where you know you're like how come you guys aren't talking about this and they hem and haw and try to you know come up with answers and i don't want to be you know i don't want to spoil the movie everybody who hasn't seen it should definitely see it um and it's pretty compelling kind of what comes out of it and shocking really shocking and humorous and as i say it, it would be yeah, so much it's entertaining more it's not like it's, ahead, it's like a, a tra- as i say it's a tragic comedy right it's mm-hmm. it, it would be it would be so humorous if you didn't realize how scary this is that they're not because the the interviews are and it ranges from pure ignorance to to straight up concealing um, i don't know if i'll necessarily name the organizations that were we knew the more you see these interviews that's what some people say and when we do q a's oh you guys manipulated the editing you know which mm-hmm. a lot of people do when we say eventually we're going to come out with longer versions of these interviews the longer edits because the more you see them the more revealing how how they're covering it up, how they'll be elusive of the questions and the answers, uh, how, and and that it's just scary that they're they're n- not doing this, but they know they should be, and um, it's just it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's a funny. It's again, it's it's a very serious topic, but it is a funny film. I mean, it's like we you know we've gone to dozens and dozens of screenings, and you know just listening to audiences crack up. Um, and so it is, there's definitely a, a high level of comic relief throughout the whole film, right. which was, we, you know, we knew was going to be important because it is, it's a serious, heavy subject, but it's, it's very entertaining and, and ultimately it's uplifting, I think. And you don't really feel, you don't really realize most people, the first time you watch it, you're just blown away. You're mm-hmm. literally blown away and say, you know, watch it the second time because the second time you can actually enjoy, uh, enjoy the humor and the bizarre part because you don't really get what's going on the first time because you don't know all the information. And then the second time, we have so many little edits there. We really fine-tune the editing to make it as bizarre and kind of funny. And you don't really see it till the second or third time. So it's uh-huh. a fun movie to watch twice. Yeah, I think your barrier really uh, is that some people, like, they see the they see the title of the movie, Cowspiracy. They see this picture of the cow, and they're like, this is going to be a heavy ride, right? And so they're like, yeah, I, I should see it. I want to see it. But, like, they just... They got. They can't get over the hump, you know. They're like, I'm not in the mood right now, or like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. Like, they feel like they're going to get, like, you know, it's going to be so heavy that it's just too much. You know, I, look, I worked hard. You know, I just want to like check out for an hour and watch a movie and have fun and go to sleep. You know what I mean? So, I think that you know, for you guys, is the thing that you got to help people kind of get over. And and I think it is important for people to understand that it is entertaining. You know, like you're definitely engaged in the way like you would be watching Morgan Spurlock. Like he's, you know, you're like, it's it's informative, but also, you know, there is levity as well. 
And that was the whole goal of it from the very start when Ed, Keegan and I were working on it is let's, let's make this humorous. And Keegan was like, what? Yeah. I, had no idea. <laughs> I mean, like, there's Keegan just the punk rockers. Oh, like, no, we got to go hardcore. It was the most bizarre thing. You can see the look in his eyes. Like this is not serious. This is not funny whatsoever. It's like, you know what? There's, there's humor in this. Cause it's so mm-hmm. bizarre. It's, it's, it's humorous. Like we're living in a parallel world in this crazy world and to do, uh, just to show it in in the reality of what it is, but in that bizarre weirdo kind of way, the mm-hmm. humor really comes out. Yeah, I mean, it's and Kip was absolutely correct. I mean, it's like it works so well because it's completely bizarre. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's, it's the you know the seventy billion animals in the room that no one wants to talk about. That you mm-hmm. know, and again, climate change is such a huge issue. It's like, gosh, here's here's a huge component to climate change, mm-hmm. and you know, no one's talking about it. let's let's like break it down water uh 600 gallons of water to produce a quarter pound patty of beef 2500 uh gallons for a pound of beef yeah and dairy is not much better a thousand gallons of water to produce a gallon of milk it's crazy one to two acres of rainforest being destroyed per second uh you know land use carbon emissions species extinction water pollution from runoff right creating these like uh, giant algal blooms in dead zones where they're so oxygen deprived, like nothing can live. Uh, the animal abuse. I mean, you just go down the line, like in every category, like it's just a huge catastrophe. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it, it literally touches any issue you could care about. It, animal agriculture plays a role, whether it's environmental issues or humanitarian issues of, you know, starvation, a resource uh, depletion. Yeah. Animal cruelty I means like healthcare costs. Healthcare. I mean, that's I mean, a whole nother yeah, I mean, ball game talk. It literally has a, a hand in everything. So and one of the amazing things for me too, was to also like understand like, yeah, but we got to feed everyone like, okay, so this is what it is, but we got to eat. Right. And then to understand like, actually, um, uh, you know, starvation is not a, uh, is not, is not a problem of bounty. Like we're producing enough food to feed 10 billion people already. Right. So it's more of a distribution and allocation issue because all the food that we're growing is going to feed livestock. So it's this second hand sort of thing, right. Where we're getting the food from the food. It's this incredibly inefficient system. We have to pour all these resources into these animals to then eat them. Why don't we just eat, eat lower on the food chain, cut the middleman out and we can solve so many problems. And what's funny is the middleman is this processing system that turns incredibly healthy food into incredibly unhealthy food. And you can take, uh, you can take uh, these. Yeah, but Kip, there's a lot of money to be made. That's <laughs> it. 16 pounds of grain that has no saturated fat, no cholesterol, high in protein, fiber, um, you know, essential nutrients. You can then run that through this yeah, machine called a cow and fill the fullest cholesterol, saturated fat, and you only get one pound out of it. And antibiotics and hormones yeah, I mean, and just all pesticides the and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's the total inefficient. I mean, yes, the other thing, too, is that, you know, going back to land use is that you can grow 15 times more protein on any given area of land with plants than you can with animals. Mm-hmm. So people say, oh, well, this area you know, of the world can only grow, you know, can only raise cows or goats which isn't true. It's like, you know, take the resources that are you're putting into those animals and put it into vegetable reduction. You're going to produce 15 times more, even if it's degraded land. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so many facts in the movie and also at cowspiracy.com in the facts section, like there's just, you, you just scroll down forever and there's just all these amazing facts, but there was one, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was 
like one acre of land can feed a certain number of omnivores and that same parcel of land could feed like some incredibly disproportionate number of yeah. plant-based it's about eight, it's about a, a plant-based diet uses about one eighteenth of the amount of land that a american omnivore uses mm-hmm. so i mean just yeah just land use it's about one sixth of an acre to feed a vegan mm-hmm. um, for a year and then that's again it's just because of efficiency you know you can on one and a half acres you can raise about 375 pounds of meat or you could raise on one and a half acres you know 37,000 pounds of plant food, right? That was the one, yeah, Yeah. I could remember. I mean, mean, it's just astronomical. So, yeah, I mean, you know, food shortages and starvation issues are exactly as an issue of allocation. And, you know, a lot of that has political. But, you know, you look at, you know, Ethiopia during its massive famine in the 90s was still exporting grain and animals to to Europe to feed the meat industry there. Yeah, it's like you have populations who are starving, but because there's such a high demand for meat and dairy products in the developed world that, you know, literally, you know, third world children are, are starving because mm-hmm. there's a, there's money to be made off animal agriculture. Um, and that's not to say that animal agriculture is causing starvation, but I mean, the simple fact that we're allocating these massive amount of resources to feed non-human animals is a major, major issue. Mm-hmm. Amazing. All right. Well, let's talk about the movie. It's like the, the journey that you guys have been on with this movie, because I almost feel like it's like a, it should be a case study taught in film schools. It's so unique uh, and such an amazing story, right? Like I first found out about the film um, before really anybody had seen it. You had an Indiegogo and you were trying to just raise like a tiny bit, tiny bit of money to like finish it. It was basically done. Um, and then in the wake of that, it's really been a truly, like truly grassroots thing, right? You didn't have any distribution. You forewent the whole films, film festival circuit. Like, did you even submit to the Sundances of the world and get rejected? Or did you just bypass that altogether? We, we submitted to a few of them, um, really crossing our fingers, but now looking back, knowing how we were pretty ignorant on how Sundance and the big ones work, you, you have to have a name somewhere involved. You know, now if we, if we submitted, we'd it's ironic cause it's supposed to be the opposite. Yeah. It was maybe 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we did for a while. Then all of a sudden they, we started getting rejection after rejection. We said, let's just skip this. And, and, and what's interesting, this, the, the kicker was we submitted to a festival. Okay. Maybe it's something to do with how controversial the film is. So we said, here's going to be the litmus test. We're going to submit it to the San Francisco Green Festival. They have their own Bay Area. Um, maybe if you're a Bay Area filmmaker, you're a lock to get in, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to probably win it. And we had people come to our screening that worked with them, said, oh, you guys are going to for sure win the San Francisco Green Festival. Not only get in, but win it. So the time came, we submitted it. And sure enough, we got rejected from the San Francisco Little that's Green so Festival. Insane. And that's when we said, okay, there's, there's more than one thing going on. There's some, there's some political and ties to, to how controversial, you know, to, to their, the film industry and how controversial this film is. Even Sundance, you know, Robert Redford mm-hmm. and the whole cattle and the background of that industry. Who knows if I, I, we didn't have a name back then. But um, once we didn't get into the San Francisco Green Festival, that's when we said, okay, we need to change our game plan. And that's when we did our own tour and we organized our own tour and did a real grassroots Our Facebook following got bigger. And it is a case study on, on how to, on how just two people can not only make a film, but let it grow. 
and um, with a grassroots way of, of, of engaging other people around so everybody can take a part of it. Mm-hmm. All Keegan and I did is make this film, and now it's everyone's film. People say, oh, you guys are brave to make the film and to show it around. We say, you know, the people who are really brave are the people who are doing screenings in Idaho. They're the ones risking, you know, we're not there in Idaho and Utah, these ag-gag laws that are showing it this this organization of 20 brave people are showing the film and uh and that's what the film really grew to at a level where it's at now is it's it's everyone's film mm-hmm. um, and you did it without any distribution i mean literally it was like you guys in a van driving around from screening to screening and leveraging the internet by virtue of like tug.com right tugg.com which allows uh individuals to host their own screenings they can four wall a theater if they can get a certain number of people to commit to show up which allowed people to very you know it's like that's really cool because who who like knows how to like book a film in a theater in their town like that's kind of a, a barrier right but this site allowed people to make that uh, more facile and accessible so that i think played into your favor but the fact that so many people were hosting screenings wherever they lived that there i mean how many tug screenings were there um i mean i i don't know the exact number we've definitely done at least two or three over 300 over 300 in the u.s and yeah tug is awesome there were all these overseas you guys went to australia right (laughs) yeah i mean kip went went australia and the biggest the biggest crowd ever was in australia at a two-tiered seemed like an opera house or where you'd see big bands and it was around 800 people on both on on the wow. bottom and top level filled up. How did that happen? And that's when I was like, wow, we got something special going on here. Exactly. <laughs> I, how did this happen? Was and that, then, was that associated with that? Who's that big businessman who like spoke Philip out? Against, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Was, was he involved in he that? He was, he was on the Q and a with me, but he wasn't actually, it mm. was, Emerald Liberation Victoria, I think. Yeah, they're an incredible group. Um, and Sydney, Sydney had a really powerful group. It's just one of those things. I feel when you have extremes, like such as US is, and Australia is a perfect example, when you have such a far, um, lack of better words, political right, and then you have such extreme of that, because in Australia, there's a lot of intense things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have just a, a polar opposition and it's almost the more you have, you, the more passionate of an opposition. And that's what's happening there. You have incredible activists in, in Australia that mm-hmm. are really, really fighting for their country and fighting for the future. And that, that was a big part of it. And I had no idea. I was blown away. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we really, we just try to use every avenue that the internet had to give uh-huh. us. Um, yeah. I mean, we used a crowdfunding with Indiegogo, which was, you know, an amazing I mean, just blew us away at the amount of support we got. We were actually one of the top 25 highest funded films in Indiegogo history. Wow. uh, Which is huge. And then, yeah, we teamed up with Tug, and Tug does these platforms. It's basically crowdsourced theater, uh, uh, theatrical distribution. So people all across the country. And we had, I think, two or three screenings in Fargo. You know, it's like no distribution company would ever take the film to Fargo. Right, right, right. It's like, but because there was people there who were interested. People wanted to see it. Yeah, and so and have, how are they finding out about like how are they even how do people in Fargo even know what's happening? Exactly, like, that's the amazing thing, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, so it's, it's not like you're in Time Magazine or you know, on tele- it's like yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get to that, <laughs> all right? Um, you know, so that's what I mean when I say like truly like a grassroots thing, like a real populist movement around this movie, where suddenly in you know a relatively short period of time. People are talking about it. It's water cooler talk. People are aware of it. They know what's going on. And yet still no distribution, right? 
But then a couple really interesting things have occurred, and this is where it gets super exciting <laughs> and <laughs> leading us to this week. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but somehow, was it through Lisa Lange at PETA got the film to Darren Aronofsky, the film director behind Noah and Requiem for a Dream and all those amazing and movies? Pi, who happens to be, I don't, I don't think we knew at the time, it's both of our favorite top three to five favorite directors of all time. Yeah, me too. I mean, the guy's the guy. unbelievable and a very, you know, passionate environmentalist. I think uh, there was a lot of press about how he ran his set in Noah, right? I think it was all sustainable. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you... Yeah, I think they did primarily plant-based. I think so. Um, I mean, yeah. So as far as I know, that's the story that has been relayed to me is that, yeah, Lisa gave a copy to Darren and then Darren gave a copy to... Well, no, Darren tweeted I, the, no, the, the, it. Darren, no, Darren sent a tweet out. What happened? Then we heard what this real story was. What the story was even more detailed is that Darren was watching it and halfway, halfway during the film, he called Leo and he says, you have to watch this film. And Leonardo, that's Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo the, DiCaprio. <laughs> yes. Your pal Leo, uh, right? Uh-huh. And that's how the lore goes. That's how, that's how and it he was. called ex- Leonardo and uh-huh. said, you have to watch this film. And I can't remember if he... Some I gave him the link or whatever, and I think they're on a plane. They're they're working on a documentary, I believe, together. Oh, together they are. Uh huh. They're obviously good good friends, and that is how that can. That's how it got into Leonardo DiCaprio's hands, right? And so then what? Then what happens? We got a call from uh, someone who works with him and said, "Hey, you know, Leo's interested in the film and." Then we sent another link to hold to on. Them. A second, yeah, yeah, right? no, hold like, on a second. Because yeah. that was that was yeah, it wasn't just. <laughs> yeah, you're acting all casual about this. Like, what well, happens when you get that no, phone call? We totally thought. I mean, I because I, I was driving on my way over to Kip's and 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 I just kind of laughed about it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is like real and Kip. And then we look, and then we, and we probably not from we, Appian we, Way, his company. Appian it wasn't Appian Way. It was some random. It was a, a name. It was a, a person who wasn't. It was an connected. acronym too. It was for... a few steps away. So we looked him up, and nothing really came up. Oh, really? Did you think it was like someone wanted a free or... copy? Someone because we get that sometimes. Someone uh-huh. wanted a free copy. I of work the film. with so right. and so, and really didn't think so. It, we I mean, we laughed about it. Was, it. Yeah, we laughed about it. And when but so it sent a so link. Anyway. D- oh, you sent a link. Yeah, uh-huh. and we just said yeah, no worries. And then I think it was about a week later, I got a call from. Jennifer Davison, who's one of Leonardo's producers, and she's I mean, she's a producer of you know, half a dozen films, she said, hey, um, Leo saw the film, absolutely loves it. He's been talking about it nonstop. He's basically obsessed with it. And he called up, he's so excited about the film, he called up the heads of Netflix himself, which normally he wouldn't do. He would have one of us do. And he said, you guys have to take this film. Like, this is amazing. The heads of Netflix all watched it. They're super excited about it, and they want to talk to you guys about taking on the film. Uh-huh. So that was one of those kind <laughs> of just... this was And you're over... like, is your jaw dropping? Or like, I, mean, oh, I, was, you know? I was silent laughing, like hysteria on the phone, because it's just, you know, how ridiculous That's is that? That's such a surreal, like... Totally surreal. Uh-huh. I mean, like, the, the biggest name in Hollywood sees our film, loves it, and is already shopping it around for us without even talking to us. Not only that, but... He's like, I don't need permission. I'm just going to call them and tell... Yeah, like... And not only that, our dream for the film was someday if it could be on Netflix. Because we, at that time... So here's the thing. Had you tried prior to that? Was there... We didn't even know where to even start. We didn't even know where to start. That's how... You're two guys in a van in Fargo. And everyone said, you guys be up to CNN, Netflix. And we'd always say, well, can you connect us to someone? Because we have no idea. Right. And this, this was... 
almost exactly a year ago. This was not something people probably think this happened a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An entire year ago. And I got the, 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 I wish, I don't think I have the text, but the text from Keegan was, I I didn't have cell reception. I was, I was away camping in a festival or something and it was all caps. You will not believe this. And Keegan's so low key. And I said, whoa, this is huge. And he wouldn't say what it was. And, uh-huh. I, and I, I purposely waited a whole day just to ponder in my mind and play with so games on what this could run be. Run fantasies? No, yeah, and I did. So I did all the fantasies, and it turned out to be... Are you, and you know, Keegan, are you like, why isn't he calling me back? I, yeah, a little bit. But I was also, I mean, I just couldn't wait. I mean, it's just, it was, it was still super exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm still so excited about this. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what a unbelievable dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for any filmmaker, but then to like, we have a, it's not like that we're just telling a story. It's like, we're, this is a very powerful, you know, motivated film oh, to try and save the It's a culture changing, you know, and, film. It has that power to like impact consumer choice and, and really change people, the way that people live their lives and the habits. And what I feel so fortunate is that it's authentic in that when I, I've been wanting to make the film for a while and then finally when we came, T, Keegan and I teamed up making it. I saved quite a bit of money to make the film. I mean, Mm -hmm. not that much to make the film. We lost our funding. I never expected to even make it back. It was that this message has to be told. I never wanted to even be in the film. I wanted to be behind the the camera working with Keegan. We tried tried searching for someone to essentially play someone who, because at that time I already knew most of the things. And so this really had nothing to do with Keegan or I had to do with a message that was way bigger than us. And that's what felt so good is that this whole film has nothing to do with us. And the joy that we feel isn't it's nice to be filmmakers to have a film on Netflix is that the message is, is getting out there mm-hmm. and it's and it's actually doing what our wildest dreams are and then some. Yeah, well, people can feel, I mean, that comes across, right? Like, you, you can tell. Like, it's not about you and your ego. Like, the story is bigger than that. Like, and I think people are connecting with that. Like, they get that, right? Um, the other funny story, though, that I, I want to I I hear about from you guys is, uh, is what happened in Toronto. I think it was exactly a year ago, right? Like, I think Toronto Film Festival is about to start. Is it not? Like yes, you guys yeah. were in Toronto. I was in Toronto for last year because the Veg Fest Veg coincides Fest, right. with TIFF. They're going on at the same time, and you guys went out to the Veg Fest to show the film. And, and I was and I was there, and I was at this really. I think this place is actually called Seed. This awesome. Oh, little, I've been there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. Uh-huh. And my friend was wearing Calspiracy shirt, and I went to the bathroom, and I come back, and he's he's an organic farmer from Montreal. He hasn't seen a movie or as TV has no idea who's talking to. And then I start walking by and he says, well, if you love the film, tell him he's the one who made it. And I was right in front of my face, turns to like some guy had rolled up on the table. Yeah. And it's, it's Mark Ruffalo. And I don't know if people know him, but I grew to love him because all the films he made in about two years just blew me away. It became one of my favorite actors. And he looked at me and, and I'd never had any, whatever you call celebrity, moment of meeting really any anybody in my life that's what's funny live in san francisco and here's a guy who then two nights before i saw i don't know if anyone's seen that film that he played uh, a role where it's it's the very 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 beginning of aids of the aids epidemic it mm-hmm. happened in new york really interesting film and it, it swept the emmys every one i believe every single thing and i watched it two nights before and he said I love your film. And I, the first thing I said is, I love your film. <laughs> that was the first. I said, thank you so much. And he said, which one? Because he had another film there. 
And it was just the most surreal thing. Is this Mark Ruffalo? And then the nicest guy you could ever imagine. Uh-huh. You can picture who he is on the screen and you hear him talking times out by 10. I mean, right. the absolute nicest guy and saying the nicest things. And then what he said was, I said, finally, how, how did you watch the film? I said, well, Leo, uh, Leo and was going to invite us over because we're working on this environmental project. And he said, hey, you guys are going to come over to my house next week. But first, you all have to watch this film. Mm-hmm. And we had to watch the film before he came and visited. And so they did. And he loved the film. And then they had a meeting. And he said, well, the first half of the, of the meeting, we talked about our, what, our project. And then the second half, the entire time, was talking about Cowspiracy. Uh-huh. And that's, that's when it was, came, became chills. Because we didn't really know if this whole Leonardo thing was going to happen but at that point it verified right. wow he really is excited and yeah yeah you can happen. like his producer can say he loves it but like yeah, that's hollywood talk man like oh we love you and like you know I, look i've been around this town like the people just blow smoke up your butt like all the time right but to hear it from mark you're like oh wow like that kind of vets that whole story it's yeah. amazing yeah it's, it's surreal pretty, very surreal <laughs> yeah very it's surreal. totally surreal and so here we are today, September 15th. The film is finally going to uh, premiere on Netflix. And it's going to be, how, what is it, how, how does it go? Is it going to be like presented by Leonardo DiCaprio, executive produced by Leonardo? Like, what is that association and what does that, you know, like, what does that look like? Yeah, so since he saw the film, um, he stepped in as executive producer. And we re-edited the film. We updated it. The film is, has new facts and new information. It's super solid. Um, what were the changes that you made? Uh, we basically just updated, you know, new science has come out, you know, that has, has shown that animal agriculture is even worse than we even thought. Um, and, you know, we went very conservative with all the stats in the film. You know, again, if you go to cowspiracy.com and you click the facts page, you can see all the facts that we, all the studies that we reference mm-hmm. in the film. And you can see that, that we were very conservative. Um, and so we just put more studies into the film and just bulked it up and... And Just, really, the big thing was, the big thing why it took a year is to bulk up our sources. We need multiple sources for every single fact, and that takes yeah. a long time because some of these studies only have one scientist that did it. And at the first, you know, three to four months, we said, "Is this ever going to happen? This is a lot of work." And then the more working on it, we're so thankful because now it is so rock solid, the, mm-hmm. the facts page and the sources page, that it's stronger than ever. That's great because, you know, once this thing goes live, you know, people are going to come at you, right? And you have to have it locked down so that you yeah. can defend everything that you say in the movie. Yeah. And again, I mean, anyone who questions the stats in the film, we encourage it. Do more research. Look into mm-hmm. it more and you'll you'll find that there's so much research out there that not only supports, but shows, you know, people will say, oh, well, your numbers are off and say, yeah, you know, we say it takes 2,500 gallons of water to produce a pound of beef. And that number is off because there's studies that say in California it takes 8,000 gallons of water. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we're off by, you know, several thousand gallons of water. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, we're, yeah, again, we really encourage people to do as much research as they can because we've done a, a ton and we just think there's more, there's more information out there. And so that's what the new edit is. And it's just, the film's just tighter. Um, I, th- I, mean, I think it's just a stronger, powerful, more powerful film than even the first version. And, and I, yeah, again, being executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, there's a standard. You know, it's like he's a phenomenal actor. Uh, he's just a phenomenal to have producer. the name associated with your movie, with his credibility in the environmental movement, let alone the, the entertainment industry, is just you can't. I mean, you know, what else would you want? You know what I mean? That's it's it. like it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. And I just have to say. Uh, how, how much I respect 
Leonardo DiCaprio for making this move. It's incredibly courageous and ballsy on his part because uh, I think it's fair to characterize him as somebody who is part of the sort of green establishment. In other words, like, you know, he's in, he's sort of fully entrenched in kind of the mainstream, you know, philanthropic community with respect to environmental conservation. Like he's on the board of like a whole bunch of these, you know, giant, uh, uh, you know, NGOs and non and nonprofits, some of which are the ones that are kind of getting called to the mat in the movie, right? So he is actually taking a very personal risk by associating himself with this movie because he's saying, like, I mean, I don't know what, how much money did he give last year to environmental organizations in the many, many millions, right, through his own foundation. Uh, and, you know, his name is, is aligned with some of these organizations and, 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 and in Cowspiracy, some of these are, are called into question, right? And so for him to, I mean, it would be more predictable for somebody like that to back away from a movie like this because it's threatening to, to kind of the status quo and, and, you know, how he sort of fits into that community. But for him to like go straight in and say, no, we need to talk about this. We need to look at this, I think is incredibly courageous. And I, I just couldn't have more respect for him making this move. It's just such a hero. It's, it's, you just can't downplay the, the courage of, of, of doing that, you know, of, of realizing, that this this movie must be shown this this message must be told and putting it putting that message above himself of, right. you know people think all these actors and even people in the environmental groups of everyone who we interview they're putting their own organization as we say they put the profits over the planet their own organization over what really needs to be done and here's this person with incredible influence knowing this is the right thing to do. People mm -hmm. need to know that. And he's a true hero. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is incredible. Like, it, I think you've, you said it quite well. Like, he's setting aside his ego for a larger cause. And, you know, it's easy to take pot shots at an actor who becomes an activist. But, like, he's a real deal, man. Yeah. You know, no, through and through. Yeah, he's definitely the real deal. I mean, we, we have just, you know, the utmost respect and just deep, deep respect for Leonardo. Um, and, and he really, I mean, he, he's not like a celebrity who, like, tax his name onto something, you know, to, for PR. It's like, he's a full on environmentalist. Like this is, I think probably more important to him than even acting. It's like, this is, he's, he really cares deeply about these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he's, he's genuine. And we only had a, a, just minor communication with him. Not too much. I was say you guys hanging out. Like where well, are you he, he's been, got to go run out of here and go meet him well, in a minute. Or what's going on? <laughs> thing is he is, he's had an exciting year cause he's doing a huge film called the revenant. And that might be the one that he's going to finally Have you seen the trailer for that. I watched, I read the book. I, I recommend it is the most gripping yeah. film trailer I think I've ever and, seen. And what's, it's insane. It's exciting too. If you ever read the book, it's a quick book to read. It's based on a true story and it's this true story that sure over time, cause it's, it's set in the 1800s, you know, folklore mm -hmm. goes, this story grows a little bit, but at the core level, it's a true story. And they, they say, this is the one finally that's going to win him the Oscar. And yeah. he's had a rough year. Cause it's the way, Ratu, right. Directed it. Yeah. And the way he directs is he puts you out on real locations. So they were, they were deep, there for a, like nine months or something yeah, like that. A, a something half the crew either quit or even you know, threatened to be sued because they are in hardcore environment. So he's been gone most of this year, but the, what I was going to say is when we, the, the few conversation we had with him, just all about the environment. You know, it wasn't about anything else, but necessarily about, Oh, I'm making this movie or what else are you guys doing? Talking about one environmental issue after another, another project, v truly passionate. And, uh, 
Yeah, true, true, true passion about mm-hmm. the environment. Is he going to be, do you know if he's going to do, I, mean, I know he's tweeted, he, he tweeted the, the recent article that was kind of the press release about, you know, this whole thing happening. Uh, do you know if he's going to do any press around the movie? I don't know. I, I mean, he, he, he was just talking with his publicist, mm-hmm. I mean, he's just unbelievably busy. Right. Um, I think there'll be some, you know, I think really the, this, the film and the film story sells itself, though, and that... I don't even know how much press is really needed from his end just because it's... Well, he's got to do the podcast. There we go. <laughs> right. That, that was our first I, question. You know he him. wants to. He said, hey, uh, Leo, would you do uh, the Rich Roll podcast? <laughs> yeah. so, he said he'll get back to you. Huh? All right, good. Yeah, yeah I'm waiting. Yeah. Maybe, he, maybe he's calling right now. My phone's turned off. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> it's so exciting. So... Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to post this podcast like Sunday night. So it, is it, is it Monday when it goes? Yeah. Mo- the, I think Monday and it's 15th. worldwide, right? Is it? So yeah, if people so it, are listening in Australia or Europe, everywhere in the English speaking world, it should be up on the 15th. There's been some issues I think with some subtitling, um, but it'll be everywhere that Netflix is, um, mm-hmm. within a month. So they're in 50 countries I think right now, and it's continuing to grow. We had the film dubbed into Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, and German. So um, people can listen and watch the film in their native language. It's mm-hmm. you know, been subtitled into 20-plus languages. Um, I mean, it's it's hitting a global audience. I mean, I, I don't even remember what Netflix's membership is. I mean, it's in the tens of millions. They don't really disclose that stuff. Over, I believe over 50 million. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's just phenomenal. We're so excited about it. And yeah, it'll be, people around the world can be able to stream it instantly from Netflix. It's pretty cool. What has been, um, like the sort of other than like the story we just told about Leo and all of that, like the most sort of surprising thing about, you know, the last year of kind of journeying around with this movie that you, you would not have predicted. I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's everything so about much. it, right? Yeah. yeah there's but, so much. I mean, we've just gotten just an unbelievable outpouring of support from people around the world. I mean, one of the most special things just happened I believe it was yesterday after an entire, it was have been now a year and a half. And it just yesterday, it's a good, good question. It just hit me is who ben was Brown? Oh, ben, ben Brown, Brown. And, and fun for Louie, Louie Cole. Let's yeah. And I've never guys. heard of them before, but, uh, they both within a week, both watched the film and they're so personal with their emotions and everything. I've, they watched the film and then one of them, they taped themselves ben. while they were, they were watching it. And both of them had such a profound impact and you could see it in their mm-hmm. eyes. And he says, I you know, basically I'm blown away and I'm processing it all. And, and w- I've never seen someone like that show their emotion while they've watched the film. We do all these Q and A's, but they're asking us questions after and say, Oh, I love your film. But something about And I guess that's why they're so popular. They, they show their, their emotions as in real life as they're happening. These, these are daily vloggers. Yeah. So, right, right. So, so Ben Brown, who goes by Mr. Ben Brown on YouTube and Louis Cole, who goes by fun for Louie on YouTube. They're both daily vloggers with massive followings. I think they each have like a million and a half subscribers or something like that. They're contemporaries of Casey Neistat. They've been on each other's vlogs and all that kind of stuff. And if you listen to this podcast, you know, I've had Casey on three times. So you probably know who Ben and Louie are. Um, and I've been following these guys for a while. I was introduced to them via Casey. And um, I think it was two days ago, Ben, who is a former two-time world champion in kayaking, who now like lives this 
amazing life of adventure where he kind of shares his daily experiences on this vlog, um, travels to all these extraordinary places, does really cool stuff and kind of shares it with this passionate audience, um, watches Cowspiracy. And it's the, at the tail end of like, I don't know, a 12 or 15 minute video. Um, and then immediately just looks into camera and shares his thoughts um, in real time. Uh, reacting to what he's just seen. And you can see the emotion. You can see he's sort of struggling with these ideas and coming to this realization like, uh, you know, if I really want to walk my walk as an environmentalist, I'm going to have to change the way, you know, my relationship to food. And he basically says, I'm, I'm going vegan, you know, and he's like, you, he's, you could see he's a little bit scared about it. He's not sure, you know. And then the following day, Louis, who's his friend and vlogger, like says, well, Ben watched this movie. I need to watch it. And the exact same thing happens. And it's quite amazing. Um, and so I've actually been going back and forth with Ben via email. I'm sending him some books and some resources. I'm trying to help him. That's I'm going to have him on the podcast to have him share you know, what this is all about in addition to just his amazing life. But, you know, when you see, um, you know, when we look at your movie and you're like, well, this is a grassroots kind of viral thing. Uh, you know, these guys are, are, you know, this is what's happening now. Like they're not on television, but they have followings that would rival any network television show. And these are the people that young people look up to, um, that they're emotionally connected to and when, and, and they're very influential, right. On the, in the internet. So when those two guys like are like, this is what we're doing, you know, that's, that's a big deal, man. That's a big deal. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. But thanks for giving the you know, background of the story. I'm assuming sometimes yeah, yeah. I forget we're just talking with each other. No, 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 it's cool. Well, I just, I just want to make sure anybody who's listening right. kind of understand, you know, can place it in context a little bit, but, but, um, but it was really unique to see that like instantaneous reaction in the wake of seeing it's the movie and, and, and you can see how they're like, they're, 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 kind of grappling with the ideas and wrestling with themselves about like what this means and, and how this is going to impact how they're going to live their life going forward. Mm, it yeah. does. And I was having a rough day too at the time and to watch that and really it's something about it just really hit me. The raw emotion of see their whole persona and their whole reality mm -hmm. just literally transform in front of your eyes and they're actually filming, filming themselves while it's happening. And uh, that's why I guess that's why they're so popular. Yeah. It's cool, man. Um, so what kind of, uh, what's going to go on for, for you, like this upcoming week with the release, is there press commitments for you guys or is this just, was just goes live and that's it or what's high happening? priority was the rich world podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, is, no joke uh, on that. Yeah, no, I mean, this is we're, our favorite uh, podcast. Yeah. Kip and I have become, uh, you're big, just saying, no, it really is. Really? Yeah. We're uh, kind of out of the loop. That's why I feel they, we heard about these other vloggers and so are we the only ones who don't know about all these things? Cause yeah. we listen to pretty much yours and maybe one or two others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we're, we're super busy. We're working on a new project, a couple of new projects. Uh, unfortunately we can't really talk about, but mm -hmm. really exciting. I mean, like so exciting. I can't, right. I can't help how excited I am about these new projects that we're working on. But I on. can't convince you to say anything about no, it. No, no, but there, other than it will be, I love how you're like super cryptic on your Instagram account. You're just like, <laughs> uh, like it's just pictures of cameras, you know? So I was like, well, he's making something, but he won't talk about what it is. It's so infuriating. Which but, is what we did with Cowspiracy too. We didn't, we didn't do any, you know, press about it. We didn't do a website or anything until the film was done because we, we don't want to get shut down on what we're working on. But I think this next film for people who liked Cowspiracy, they're going to love this new mm -hmm. film. I mean, it is just, 
Yeah. I, yeah. You're such I, a tease. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we've got, we've got some super exciting stuff happening. Um, do you have a timeline on that? When can you, when are uh, you going to be able be to talk about it? Probably next couple next, months. Next really? couple that months. That soon? Yeah. Because yeah. oh, it, wow. it's going to be a, something next, probably spring, summer, we're going to release something, another thing. Uh-huh. And something that's happening within a month is very exciting is we have the Cowspiracy book. And it's called oh, The Sustainability cool. Secret. Uh-huh. And we're really excited about that. We've been working on that for a while with a couple of amazing authors and essentially creating the book and adding a lot of things that you only have 90 minutes in a film that we can expand on in a book. And that's why people love books is you can go a little bit deeper into all the facts. We can go deeper in that Alan Savory, some of the interviews that we had, personal reflection. And that's coming out uh, in October. So oh, that's wow. Exciting. That's super exciting. That's really great. That's exciting. a great idea, you know, to be able to like, all right, let's camp out on this argument and just go, you know, it's in that movie, you have to keep it moving. You know, you can only spend so much time on each one of these issues. There's so much ground to cover. So to be able to kind of speak to that in detail is that's fantastic. Yeah. People can actually pre-order the book now already through Amazon. The, the book's called The Sustainability Secret. It's coming out um, through uh, Earthware and I believe Insight Edition is also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. If Insight is it up on there. Amazon to pre-order already yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah, so or on your website. Uh, we don't have it on the website yet, but you can pre-order it on Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, and then we'll be doing a big announcement about that. This is actually the first time we've mentioned the mm-hmm. the book. Oh, cool. Um, we can mention the other. We're actually doing another book that is more personal on a fun level. We want to do some fun counterpart to the the books, the Sustainability Secrets. A little more serious. So we have, we don't have the name for it yet, but essentially it's going to be a fun cookbook with some ridiculously simple recipes Mm -hmm. and fun one page. um, Each chapter has a different topic of what you see in the film and written in a really fun, funny way with a bunch of infographs, little factoids. And it's just essentially a fun little cookbook that makes a great present that will help. That's great. Probably yeah, we're, and that's actually, that's been a really fun book. We teamed up with um, the author, Laura Beck, who's just mm-hmm. brilliantly funny. Just, you know, she used to write for Veg News. Uh, she has, she runs, or did run Vegan uh, Soros, I think is the website. Oh, yeah, yeah. So funny. Yeah. I mean, just, she's just over the top ridiculously funny and so she's authoring the book um we did the recipes and then we had a really talented photographer do the photos food photos um and that hopefully will be coming out in the next few months we still have to finalize the layout but like killing it rocking out all kinds of products it's crazy i mean that was going to be one of my questions like you, you know when we first sat down you know when when the movie was just beginning um I think I I remember pretty sure at that time, like I'd go to your website and there was like barely anything there. And like now it's so robust with all the facts and there's so much information there. Um, but you know, if somebody watches the movie and they're, they're, they're impacted enough to want to, you know, take their learning to the next level and, you know, change not only their dietary habits, but, you know, feel compelled to get, um, involved in the environmental movement, you know, besides going to read the facts at cowspiracy.com, like we're, are you suggesting that people can, you know, further their education while, I, while they're waiting for your book to come? I out? feel a huge one, regardless, even with the book is a lot of it is what can I do? And a big thing is obviously go yeah. plant-based or more plant-based as you can. And your book plant power is an incredible way. Cause you go really in depth of, of how can you not only, uh, how can you not only sustain yourself, but how to thrive and literally how to do it in a detailed way. So we refer people to watch forks over knives, read books like plant power way. 
and just in just research essentially the same advice you give mm-hmm. when people ask you and i think a big part is actually nutrition because that's one of the biggest things people just don't know about and so on that we're actually we're launching uh hopefully this this week really excited um getting people to sign up for the 30-day vegan challenge uh, oh, which is pcrm no this is a uh, colleen patrick grudeau oh yeah, 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 yeah. an author yeah, yeah. um great speaker yeah, and she's great and so she has uh and we're working with her on a 30-day online program you sign up for it you get daily uh videos or emails from her and it's basically just like she literally holds your hand through for mm. an entire month answers every single question you've got on how to transition to a plant-based diet and we're super excited about that so people um well by the time they're hearing this should be able to go to cowspiracy.com click the 30 day vegan challenge and sign up. And, and we think that's a big thing because people write us, they say, I saw the film, I'm amazed, but how do I do it? Right. And so, you know, between that and we're, we're actually going to have the plant power way on our website. We're oh, super cool. excited for, um, and that, and that 30 day vegan challenge, normally you can buy it right now, but on our, she was so kind to actually give it away for free, which is really mm. awesome. Oh, that's and, amazing. And it's that thousands of people as, as, as really, uh, she's helped thousands and thousands of people help out to transition to that uh, transformation to a plant-based diet. Very cool. And what about uh, on the environmental front? Like if people are, you know, people that are interested in, in giving or getting actively involved in some of these nonprofits, like the movie makes you kind of say, well, I need to rethink this. I mean, where where can you go to get, you know, reliable information that could help drive, you know, where you can invest your advocacy? You know, I think the big thing is that for everyone who's a member of Greenpeace or Sierra Club or NRDC is to let them know that they need to talk about animal agriculture. You know, if you're a member of any of these organizations, write them and say, as a member, I'm demanding that you talk about animal agriculture. Because if Greenpeace gets enough emails from their members, people, their supporters that demanding they talk about this issue, they're going to have to. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the biggest thing for a lot of these organizations is they're afraid of, you know, scaring off their donor base. So if their donor base says, we demand you talk about this, that'll be huge. And and if any of these organizations talk about it, it would be just amazing. But to properly address it and not to give these pseudo solutions like grass fed or local, like really talk about real solutions. Um, but even if they're not even talking about solutions, just to address the issue. And an, another easy, easy, powerful way that a lot of people tell us they do is go on, say, Greenpeace or Sierra Club or Oceana Amazon Watches on their Facebook page. And anytime they have a topic, which they do sometimes, what, twice, three times a day, somehow that can relate to animal agriculture. So you can just put a little tag, hey, here's a factoid. And then you can refer them to, say, Cowspiracy or the Cowspiracy.facts page, mm-hmm. because those are the people, those are the members. And that's the, the target community we really want to message that what's going on is the people who are environmentalists, which is, as some people say, up to 75% of Americans consider, some, consider themselves environmentalists to inform them, not only the organizations themselves, but to inform the fans and the supporters of them. So the easy way is to go on the Facebook page and start posting. Yeah. And then there there are some organizations that are talking about the issue. Um, Center for Biological Diversity has a campaign called Take Extinction Off Your Plate, which is awesome. They're promoting people to um, lower or eliminate animal products from their diet to help biodiversity, which is huge. They're an organization that actually is talking about it. Uh, Factory Farm Awareness Coalition is a group that's doing a lot for education in schools. Um, they're talking about the environmental issues of animal agriculture. And then there's uh, AUM Films, which is Kip's nonprofit mm-hmm. that funded Cowspiracy. Um, and people can make a donation through aumfilms.org. Um, and that helps to promote the film and to create more films like it. So there's definitely pe- places you can do. But then really, I mean, it's, 
there's grassroots people. There's a group in Southern California called Truth or Drought, and they're doing a ton of stuff on addressing the drought in California. California's in unprecedented drought right now, and everyone's talking about almonds when mm-hmm. 47% of California's water footprint is in animal Right, that was another question that I had. Like, now it's sort of, you know, suddenly uh, out of the blue, it's all about how almonds use so much water, you know, which is a distraction from the the, the elephant in the room, yeah. right, the animal agriculture. And, and suddenly it's like, well, i got to curtail my almond consumption um i i did a talk up in bakersfield and uh it was attended by a bunch of like you know high profile farmers like mega farmers and one of the guys was one of the biggest almond producers in the united states and he said yeah there's a lot of like misinformation out there he's like yeah it uses water you know it certainly does i'm not going to say it doesn't use quite a bit of water but it's been overly inflated and he feels like you know like what i just said which is it's a it's a it's an argument used to distract you from the real issue. It's a total scapegoat. I mean, almonds do use a lot of water. California produces about ninety percent of the world's almonds. Scape, so, scape mm-hmm. nut. Scape nut. Scape yeah. nut. Yeah. But so it produces ninety percent of the world's almonds, but only uses eight percent of the state's water, which is still a lot of water. Alfalfa, on the other hand, uses fifteen percent of the state's water. So the largest water draw out of the entire state is a crop that's not fed to human beings. It's entirely mm-hmm. fed to livestock. I mean, a tiny percentage is fed to humans, but. The vast majority is fed to dairy cows and uh, you know beef cows, and then some to horses. But we're, you know, we're talking about fifteen percent of the state's water. And we, you know, I think it's an important thing for people to remember is is there's a difference between water shortage and drought. Right now, we're in a drought, which means that there's less rainfall falling than average. But we're always California is constantly in a water shortage, shortage. because we are we're, we're pulling we're more water, using more than we get. And so we're in a deficit for it, and so we're pulling more water out of the ground than we get in the rainfall. Um, and the vast majority of it is going to the largest share is going to animal agriculture. And again, you know, we're exporting a hundred billion gallons of water every year mm-hmm. out of the state. You know, alf, you know, just in the form of alfalfa. And then you know, you look at there's this huge campaign against Nestle for bottled water. They're exporting a hundred million gallons of water. Uh, out of California in the form of bottled water, and everyone's outraged about that, and rightfully so. You know, that's pretty ridiculous. A hundred million versus a hundred billion. I mean, that's just right. that's just to Asia. Well, and then add on top of that the infuriating kind of public service announcements that we're on the receiving end of here in California, where it's all about consumer water use. You know, you can't mow your lawn. Uh, you know, cut your showers down, and all of that. And when you watch Cowspiracy, and it dawns on you, and you're made you're made aware of the fact that. Consumer water use is what is it? Fifteen percent? Four percent? Or four? Yeah, I was going to find me. I couldn't remember. It was fifteen? Yeah, for, five, but it's for, actually for California, four. it's about four percent. Four percent of all. And how water. much of water goes to animal agriculture? Forty-seven percent of California's okay. water footprint. But not one message says, "Hey, maybe you should rethink that hamburger." Yeah. Right. And and but no, you better take a, sh- a shorter shower. Like how many? Uh, well, like one hamburger equates to how many showers in terms of about, water? About two months. <laughs> That's what <laughs> like, it's like. What are we doing? What That's are it. we talking about? It is complete insanity. People can go to skipshowersforbeef.com. Yeah. And, oh, that's uh, the okay. most brilliant thing ever. I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding yeah. that. Skip that showers is, for beef. So right. you can you can continue to eat beef in California. You can help the drought. Just all you have to do is give up showering entirely. Right, right. So, it's, it's a very funny, point. like, funny or die. Like, uh, is it a series of videos or is one? There was a couple there's, edits there's two to videos. it. There's yeah. two, yeah. yeah. Where guys go around petitioning people to not. Yeah, it's very funny. And they're giving tips on how to not smell so bad. And basically, and if you don't shower for two months, you, you can have an entire hamburger. Right. Yeah. You know, you can still. 
still have right. Enjoys. And they have celebrity, like Moby is part yeah. of it, and they're very deadpan, like they're super serious about this. Yeah, I'll put I'll put links to all this stuff up in the show notes, including all the organizations that you listed. Are those organizations listed on your site as well? Or? Uh, no, we're actually gonna we're gonna put up a champions page, and for you know any organization that comes around and starts talking about it, we're gonna champion anyone who talks about the issue. And, and right. as long properly, as you include this podcast on that champions, yeah, definitely, page, right? oh, for right. sure. Another another celebrity <laughs> who's uh, and another organization who's incredible is James Cameron. He is the real, real, real deal, mm-hmm. uh, big time. He's been working on his new Avatar films, but his, his organization is called Avatar Alliance, and they are going to be a big player here coming up. Yeah. So big, big fan of him. For sure. Then, Our girls go to uh, their school. Oh, yeah. School. Well, yeah. lucky. So <laughs> Susie has been, uh, yeah, she's been amazing with us, and what they're doing is, is truly incredible work. And talk about somebody who's really just, you know, putting his money where his mouth is. And he's like, just begun, I mean, too. it's it's crazy the amount of uh, impact and advocacy that the Camerons are involved in. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting stuff, man. It's a really yeah. cool time. Yeah, yeah. we're super excited. Yeah, we're just, yeah. I mean, again, film comes out September 15th on Netflix. Definitely to get people to watch it, share it, talk about it, um, and just let it grow from there. I mean, because it's really just going to, it's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. I have so many more questions for you, but I think this is a good place to mm-hmm. call it. You know, we'll keep it. We'll keep the quality high, right? right. Um, I will say this though: uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to uh, get to know you guys and to to have you know some level of association with this movie. Um, it's been, you know, an extraordinary experience to be able to attend some of these screenings, to be able to gauge the audience reaction, and to be a champion of of not only the film but um, you know, the message that is being conveyed by, by virtue of this film. And I have nothing but crazy mad respect for you. I'm not surprised that it's garnering the attention, uh, that it, that it is. And I think it's only going to be a mushroom cloud from here on out. And it's going to be super exciting to see how it plays out. And I can tell you that, you know, it's permanently changed how I think about these issues and how I speak about them. And now when I go and I give talks, I, I've, I've included, a lot of the information that's contained in this movie has now found its way into like, you know, the keynotes that I give. And, you know, I just think it's so um, important that everybody really kind of look into this, do their own investigation, watch this movie and, and ask yourself and the people around you these hard questions. You know, our planet's health is at, is, is at stake. And if we want to uh, do what we can to you know preserve this planet's precious resources not only just for ourselves but for our children future generations uh you know we got to make some changes man and so i'm proud of you guys for calling it out and taking the stand that you have and uh i just uh, i can't wait to see what's next with you guys mm, thanks rich we're we're so deeply appreciative of all your support i mean you you supported the film um, and then you talk about it all the time. It's like, I'd, right. I'd, and I'd, right. we're, the first time we're on the podcast is, is, is almost, that was the spark. Yes. Kind of when it started taking off is really the catalyst. The first time we did the, uh, podcast, which mm-hmm. was, when was that? Do you, was it a like, year? Uh, or was it, was it at least over a year? year. I think it was yeah. over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. about a year and a half ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're just, we're so, so appreciative of all your support yeah, and my you, pleasure. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. And again, Kip and I are big fans of the show. It's like, and I was just cracking. I was listening to the Mishka Shabali interview uh-huh. just a couple of days ago. And just, I mean, I just love the show. I love the show. So it's, it's super exciting for us to be on the show. Yeah. Thanks yeah. you guys. Come back anytime. Well, Definitely. when you can break okay. public on your new stuff, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's always a chair for you guys on the show. So awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Well, congrats on everything. And, uh, everybody out there, 
9.15, September 15th, it goes live. Log into Netflix, watch the movie right away. Let's send Netflix a loud, clear message that this is a movie that we want to see. I think the more people that kind of um, bum rush Netflix on day one, uh, we'll send a very loud and clear message to Netflix that this is a movie to pay, pay attention to and to marshal resources behind. If we can do that, then they'll put money behind the marketing and you'll see more awareness of this very important issue. So it's really critical. Even if you've watched the movie, it's a new cut. Even if uh, you don't care about that, log on and let it play anyway. You can leave the room. Just let it play so that it's logging views for Netflix so that they're... Uh, they're aware that there is a lot of interest out there. Um, if you want to find out more about the film, go to cowspiracy.com at cowspiracy on Twitter. Uh, and same thing on Instagram, all those, all that kind of stuff, right? It's yeah. pretty simple. Good. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Anything else you guys want to say? I think that's it for now. Yeah. Do we do it? We yeah. did it. All right, man. Thanks so much. You guys. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Peace. Plants. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, if you have not yet listened to episode 91 of the podcast with those guys, go ahead and check that out. It should fill in the gaps on any questions you might have about who they are. Just big love to them. Uh, I'm so proud of those guys, what they've done and, uh, and everything that they stand for. If you have not yet seen Cowspiracy starting on September 15th, it's available everywhere in the world. They speak English, I'm told. Uh, so dial it up. Let's bum rush Netflix on that date. If you have seen it, see it again. It's a brand new cut. Tell your friends, spread the word. You get the idea. This isn't just a movie. It's a mission. It's a message. It's a movement. It's a movement I'm proud to support and be a part of. And uh, I think you should, too. Let me know what you think in the comments section on the episode page at richroll.com. And for all your plant power needs, visit richroll.com. Check out our new cookbook and lifestyle guide, The Plant Power Way. We got signed copies of Finding Ultra. We got Julie's guided meditation program, which has been a hot item lately. We got nutritional products, 100% organic cotton garments, plant power tech tees, peace and plant sticker packs. We have fine art prints, temporary tattoos, all kinds of cool stuff. Basically, Everything you need to take your health and your life to the next level. We got your bases covered at richroll.com. Uh, I have a couple online courses at mindbodygreen.com if you're into that kind of thing. The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, which is a good sort of a compatriot piece to the plant power way. And also uh, a course on goal setting and achieving called The Art of Living with purpose. Both are multiple hours of streaming video content, online communities, really proud of them, very affordably priced. Check them out at mindbodygreen.com. Click on video courses in the upper left-hand side on the menu, and uh, you can learn more. Thanks for all the support, you guys, uh, on the show. Keep telling your friends, sharing it on social media. I really appreciate it. Thank you for using the Amazon banner at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. See you guys in a few days. Make it a great week, everyone. Talk to you soon. Peace. Plants. Seek house, <laughs>